Welcome everyone. Uh, we are in the third part of our series uh, looking at the Awakened Church. We're journeying through the book of Acts and the last two weeks we've been looking at the Spirit-filled church and how important that is to be a church that is full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And today I want to look at what does it mean to be an inclusive church, an inclusive church. And so I'd love for us to flip to Acts chapter 10. And so right now you might like to press the pause button and to read the whole of Acts chapter 10 and then come back to this. Here we have something of a decisive moment with Peter. Peter, of course, has done life with Jesus. He has been there at his crucifixion and his resurrection. Peter was the one who preached, as we see in the early chapters of the book of Acts, uh, as Pentecost was ushered in. But despite all of this and his incredible journey, Peter still didn't quite grasp the reach and the scope and the inclusivity of the gospel. In the early parts of Acts, Peter had responded boldly to the challenges of, of sickness and of death. And so the question was now, how will he respond to the challenge of racial and religious discrimination? Acts chapter 10 is all about this encounter and interaction with him and this guy called Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion and a God-fearing Gentile. And he, he was visited by an angel of God during his prayers. And he was told to look out for a man called Simon Peter, who would tell him what God wanted him to do. Meanwhile, in a vision, Peter was ordered by God to get up and to kill certain animals and to eat them. However, Peter did not want to consume unclean meat because of his Jewish tradition. And in the vision, God told him that what he has cleansed is no longer considered common or unclean. Therefore, Peter obeyed and did what God commanded. After this, Cornelius came to the place where Peter was staying and met him. And we see then the story of Peter profoundly preaching the gospel to Cornelius, a Gentile. And this is a turning point in the life of Peter, but it's also a turning point in the Bible. And it's so difficult for us to grasp the impassable gulf which yawned in those days between the Jews on one hand and the Gentiles on the other. It was just not customary for Jews to have Gentiles in their homes or to preach the gospel to them. But the reason for Peter's vision was because God wanted him to go forth and spread the gospel to those who were not Jewish to hence fulfill the Great Commission. Now with this mind-blowing revelation, you'll see in verse 34 this, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism. Now, for many of us, like Peter, we may have been walking with the Lord for a long time, for, for many, many years. We may have seen uh, and done many things. We may have been used by God extensively. But a, a church that is truly awakened will have to ask the serious and yet uncomfortable questions as to whether we are truly an inclusive church. Now, I want to focus this talk today with 
in mind the awful events that we are witnessing before us, bringing to light the horror that is racial injustice in our time. We're seeing a string of racist-related events that is causing so much trauma and so much heartache. One thing after another is being brought to the surface. While the world seems to have fallen silent during the global pandemic, all eyes became fixed on the killing of George Floyd. This was not an isolated incident, but I want to center our focus upon it for a moment. This in many aspects and many respects was what sociologists call a condensed symbol. It felt like a a parable of what many of the black community have had to face for indeed hundreds of years. It's a moment, it's a decisive moment, whereby in it contains a whole history and a worldview and pain that is triggered by one image and one act. Now what is so sad for the Christian is that if you read the Bible and you read the teachings of Jesus and the whole narrative of scripture, you'll see God's heart is one of grace. God's heart is one of unity and reconciliation and forgiveness. You see, racism is a sin problem and cuts right across God's heart and the gospel. Let me read to you two verses from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a beautiful, glorious, majestic picture. Now here we see a picture of what the coming world will look like. It's the most awe-inspiring of pictures and visions that Jesus gave John. This is the vision of the coming kingdom of God. The vision of the kingdom is one that is multi-ethnic and multi-racial. God's kingdom is one of unity and diversity and multifaceted and multidimensional. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray and he said this, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let this kingdom that looks like this come. Let it crash into our world now, today. Jesus said the kingdom of God is now among you. It's in your midst. It's at hand. And the church is a picture. It's a foretaste. It's a display. It's it's a shop window, if you like. It's a remnant of what the kingdom looks like. In God's kingdom, in God's economy, it is a church where Christ sits at the head of the church and he is the desire of the nations and his offspring is the nations and the nations desire him. This is because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross 
and what that has won for humanity, where the veil was torn into. The cross brings reconciliation vertically, restoring man's relationship with God, but also the cross sits horizontally with the arms of Christ stretched out, symbolizing the reconciliation and restoration between man, between people. Now the world, as we see today, so evidently, currently still builds walls of separation. This is sin through division, class, poverty, education, war, race, prejudice, discrimination through the systems and the institutions, through subconscious worldviews and narratives. But the foundation of kingdom unity is found in the gospel. I love what teacher and author N.T. Wright says, the point of being part of Jesus' people was never that we as individuals could get to heaven, perhaps associating with others, slightly different people on the way, or perhaps not. The point was that we were and are supposed to be in our personal and in our corporate lives, small working models of the ultimate new creation, which God has promised to make and has launched decisively in raising Jesus, the anointed one from the dead. That has always been our glorious vocation. Rejecting racism and embracing the diversity of Jesus' family ought to be as obvious as praying the Lord's Prayer, celebrating communion or reading the four Gospels. It isn't just an extra rule we're supposed to keep. It is constitutive of who we are. Now, in the Old Testament, we read of promises to come, promises that the nations will bow one day to Jesus. And in the New Testament, we see the great strategy of God by the Spirit, through the church, to thrust the church into the nations to bring the gospel. We see in the book of Acts, the beginnings of the gospel spreading from Judea to Samaria, to Rome, then to the ends of the earth. Christ now rules over this international community that we are part of, in which sex and rank and nation and race are no barriers to fellowship. That is why we read in Paul's letter to some of the early Christian communities in Galatia, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, racially diverse churches change the world. What kind of church does God use today to change the world? And to answer that question, we must ask, what kind of church did God use at the beginning of Christian history to change the first century world? And we see this in Acts chapter 13. We see that the church in in Antioch, which launched the first Christian mission, was ethnically and culturally diverse. We see that in the first few verses. And I find it interesting that the the term Christian uh, was first Uh, used and began to be applied to followers of Jesus in Antioch. In other words, the church in Antioch was Christ-like to an unusual degree. They not only loved God, but they loved other people unconditionally. When Jews love Gentiles and Gentiles love Jews, and they worship together in one integrated local church, it is a witness to everyone around. 
observers would have thought obviously Jesus is someone here who is breaking down dividing walls between people and the watching world learned that the Christian God was not just a tribal or an ethnic or national God the Christian God was Lord of all people so why do we, why do we as a church, as a community, want to strive for this? Let me sum this up in three ways. First of all, theologically. It's not that people don't remain unique and different, but in Christ, inequality has been abolished and unity is birthed. And as we see this so beautifully in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2 where we see that the cross tore down the dividing walls between each other, between the Jew and the Gentile. Now the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I love what Charles Montgomery, uh, the pastor, says um, in the States. I laid down my cultural hermeneutic and picked up my Christian hermeneutic. This is the essence of Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read some of the verses starting from verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Hear the heart of the apostle Paul. If he was anything, he was a gospel first person. And as a gospel first person, he never just dealt with things um, on the surface with issues of conflict. He always moved so much deeper and so must we. What unites us together is not our, our political opinions or what translation of the Bible we prefer or, or the worship music that we, we like. What unites us together, Jew and Gentile, black and white, Asian, women, men, old, young, rich, poor, what unites us together is the gospel. We may all have beautiful and different cultural ways of expressing our faith. The unity we have is not getting one culture to bend a little and another culture to change this or that direction. That's not our fundamental unity. Our fundamental unity is centered around the person of Jesus. And the gospel tells us there is level ground only at the foot of the cross. So we have a huge, huge amount in common. For starters, we have shared sin in common. We're all sinners. What we have in common with each other is that we have shared lostness. We're all lost without Christ. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all stand condemned under Christ, God's wrath. We share a common way also, though, of salvation. 
trust in Jesus. We share common baptism in water and the spirit, a common new identity in Christ as sons and daughters of the living God. We share together in God's family, the church. We share all together as priests in God's household, bearers of this coming kingdom. And the way that Paul addresses a lack of inclusion and welcome in the church is to talk to the church about the gospel. He refuses to get involved in disagreements at a symptomatic surface level. He goes deep and so must we. And for Paul to go deep is to go to the gospel. Theologically, Paul would say about all of life, look at life through gospel lenses and everything put the gospel first. You know, if we Christians really believed what we claim to believe, we really believe this gospel. And if Hull Vineyard said, we're gonna center everything on the gospel, we're really gonna think through the implications of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we would be the most loving people and the most loving church in our city and in our world. Secondly, eschatologically, racially diverse churches look like heaven. The church today is called to be a pointer to the coming kingdom. When people step into a local church, they ought to experience something of the world to come. Why do we pray for the sick? Because in the coming kingdom, people will enjoy perfect health. Why do we feed the hungry and comfort the grieving and reconcile broken marriages and deliver people from the power of the enemy? It is because these are all pointers to the coming kingdom. And the book of Revelation tells us that when the kingdom comes in its fullness, it's not going to look like an all-white church or an all-black church. The coming kingdom is going to be thoroughly multi-ethnic, multilingual, and multicultural. The third reason why we should strive for this as a church is to think missionally. That in our public service and inclusivity of heart, and practice, how do we communicate to the watching world the greatness and the inclusivity of God? This God that we worship is by leading a church that has people from everywhere that reflects the world. You see, God's glory is increased and his beauty and fame when the number of diverse people worship him and come under his lordship. What is the chief reason for mission? It's so that God is glorified. That is why we do that. So Peter had this revelation in the book of Acts. Even though he preached an all-inclusive sermon, he had real problems overcoming the expectations born of his Jewish heritage. He spent three years with Jesus and yet still didn't quite get it. And God did a job on him and gave him a revelation. Peter had a limit to his circle of love. And God gave him a revelation that challenged his exclusivity. That God's church must be an all-inclusive church. That exclusivity poisons the church. And so we need to have all-inclusive hearts. And we will bless far more people by accident than we will ever on purpose if we just have an inclusive pattern of ministry. And in Jesus' ministry, we see that he was always challenging and changing people's view of exclusivity. 
part of the intricacy of, of biblical theology is the installation within the present world of advanced signposts of what God wants to do in the ultimate future. We see the tabernacle in the wilderness and then the temple in Jerusalem were to be advanced signs of that reality. And with Jesus' death and his resurrection and the gift of the Spirit, the plan has leaped forward to the point where Jesus' people, all of them together without differentiation on ethnic lines or any other, constitute the new temple in which God already lives by the Spirit. The church itself is supposed to be the new advance signpost. Now the church, of course, is a company of sinners. And so we pray every day, forgive us our sins and with good reason. And God's forgiveness is mediate, mediated to us, not least through the mutual welcome we offer to one another. We, we won't get it right. We will make mistakes as we have in the past. Some of these mistakes will be deep in our systems and cultures and they must be rooted out. Even then, we will accidentally offend others and we will ourselves sometimes feel offended. Jesus anticipated that. He tells us to forgive, to forgive our brother and to forgive our sister. And that's what we need right now. A glorious amnesty of mutual forgiveness, not of sweeping it all under the carpet. What's needed is clear-eyed recognition of the evil that has happened and tearful-eyed repentance both for that evil and for the resentment which it has caused. And then forgiveness, wiping the slate clean. All the virtue signaling in the world can't achieve that, but the gospel of Jesus can. It can pave the way to a fresh start, a sign to the world that the crucified and risen Christ, the one who forgives, the one who puts things right at last, is its rightful Lord. And we need a radical recommitment to this kingdom, to this gospel and the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our time. We need hope, we need leadership, we need the gospel, we need repentance, we need prayer. Let me just close with this. Jesus brilliantly talked about this principle, we call it the golden principle or the golden rule. And Jesus talked to this in the book of Luke chapter 6, verse 31, where he says this, do unto others as you would have done to yourself. So this is what we must do. We must have in our time and in our day and in your shoes approach. We need to see this from the perspective of what if this was me? What if this was you? So I make a mistake and people don't forgive me for it. How does that make me feel? or I'm being gossiped about, how does that make me feel? I'm being criticized or slandered or being judged. Have you ever felt that feeling of being unwelcomed? Now you can know the right thing to do most of the time in most situations by consulting your own heart. This is the brilliance and the genius of what Jesus said. As we lean into conversation, as we learn, as we converse right now with our brothers and sisters, as we try and become even more of an inclusive church, it's important to deeply think actually about ourselves. What do I want? What do I prefer? What do I 
enjoy, what do I dislike, what bothers us, and work all of that out and using yourself as the standard, treat others accordingly. When you've not felt welcomed or included, how has that made you feel? Put yourself in another person's shoes and treat people as though and how you'd want to be treated. Friends, let us come again in humility to God and to one another and say, Lord, in this time, search us, examine us, break us. But Lord, having done all of that, send us. Send us in the power of your spirit. Send us in wisdom and in that spirit of forgiveness to reconcile, to restore, to unite, to learn. And let's create a church culture where people can truly be at home. Thanks for listening. God bless you.